0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com go slash tax security podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode number 12 of the TAC Security Podcast, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco technical Assistant security team. Today is our 12th episode. We've been doing this about a year. And um, we're going to be talking uh, about best practices for hardening Cisco IOS routers. But we thought it would be fun to talk about some of the TAC war stories that we encounter. You know, every day, you know, day, we're working on cases. We're working with customers. Uh, working on technical problems, but sometimes every once in a while a problem comes up that's pretty uh, pretty interesting or funny or things like that. We deal with interesting uh, situations all the time. So we'll go around the table here um, but first let me introduce everyone uh, on the panel here. We've got Magnus Mortensen hey from the firewall team. Uh, David White from the Escalation team. Hey Jay. We've got Blaine Dreyer from the IPS team. Hello. And we have a special guest today, Wen Zhang, an Escalation Engineer specializing in VPN and next week he will have been with Cisco for twelve years. Thirteen years. 13 minor years. correction. Okay, congratulations. Thank That's you. Great. Welcome Hello to the everyone. show. So
1: let's start off with some
0: more stories. Um, let's start with David.
1: There's a guy on the team not that long ago and they had uh, a couple of uh, Pixes, I guess, Pix firewalls if you all remember them, plugged into uh, their network and one of them kept going out and uh, on the Pix, you know, whether it crashed or not, um, if it was power cycled it would report that you know, the, the box went down um, due to a loss of power, right, and it was in a, a failure repair, and um, you know he was looking at trying to figure out, okay, well, is it crashing or is it going down because um, you know something else is happening? We need to figure out if power is being lost on a circuit. And the customer's like, well, I got another PIX on that same circuit breaker. Let's log onto that. Logs onto the PIX happens to be, uh, I think it was a, either PIX five twenty or PIX classic, and captured looked at the show ver output from it. The box had been up for nine years and twenty six <laughs> days, wow, without wow. rebooting. So <laughs> that was pretty impressive.
2: Pretty good. All right, Wen, how about you? Um, Well, David uh, talked about uh, a record uptime. I don't know if it's the record, but it seems to be pretty long to me, nine years. (laughs) Um, You know, I wonder where you can get, uh, say, power supplies that will last for that long. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I have an example that seems to be just the opposite. Um, We got a call from a customer, sort of a retail environment, uh, about 1,500 remote locations. Um, they called in, uh, and wanted to, to, to have TAC solved this, what they call the Thursday night, two o'clock, uh, problem. <laughs> so apparently this router, this uh, VPN head end, uh, it's a, it's an aggregation device that will go down, uh, every Thursday, almost like clockwork, at two o'clock in the morning. We said, hmm, that's interesting. Um, obviously something interesting at two o'clock must be happening. Uh, obviously coming from TAC, you know, the first question we ask is almost always, how long has it been running without this problem? And uh, what changed, right? Uh, and the customer said, well, it's, uh, it's been going off for almost nine months, uh, ever since the first deployment. And their mitigation technique was to reboot the router whenever they see this problem happen. Uh, it has a symptom of high CPU. So every Thursday night, they would just go and flip the switch. Um, We thought that was really interesting, since we're talking about operational best practices, this is probably not one of them. (laughs) Um, And and the only reason they had called in, they decided uh, Reboot wasn't going to be a solution, was uh, apparently the pattern shifted a little bit. So they would start to take outages early in the morning, and there was one time, you know, that was late in the afternoon. So, that was the reason for it them out to... Outside s- their
0: schedule. It, outside <laughs> of their schedule.
2: Uh, but uh, we actually had a look of uh, their mop, their uh, method of uh, operational procedures. And it was clearly stated in there, when you see the symptom, power down the router. When the router comes up, you know, here are the steps to check, make sure routing is in place, everything is all working.
1: Um, Nothing kind in there, like
2: call
0: when in attack to figure uh, out actually what's... Wrong uh,
2: for nine months they had uh, uptime no longer than a, a week so uh, <laughs> that that seems to be just the opposite of uh, the previous example
0: not good not good at all
3: all right Magnus how about you uh, well mine's not necessarily uh, a, a very specific case but more of a series of cases um, you know it's it's kind of interesting ways of giving us information you know we ask for show texts and logs and captures and um, I've got a small archive of cases where I've received things such as screenshots of a Telnet window, and then every time they would page down, they'd take another screenshot, and then another one, and they put them all in a Word document and send that mm-hmm.
1: to me. So like when you ask for a show tech,
3: instead of getting the
1: output of a show tech, you get... Multiple screen captures of the output. Well, they got of I, get, I get, yeah, I get a fifteen
3: meg uh, <laughs> Word doc file yeah. and can't and search through it. We
1: weren't all that specific enough, right? Yes. Like, like the and time when we asked for, I asked for a customer for some sniffer. I need these sniffer traces to solve your problem, and he's like, okay, he sends me a sniffer traces, and I get this email with a Word doc. I open the Word doc, and it's a. It's an it's a image of Wireshark of the Sniffer Trace <laughs> Wireshark. It's like, great that you captured it, but can you actually send it to me? That'd be great.
0: Well, the one I've got was about closing a case, and we found uh, an engineer who had a story about how they were troubleshooting a problem with a wireless access point, and they were working on the problem for a long time, and then um, finally uh, he got an email from the customer indicating that they could close the case because, unfortunately, a forklift driver had run over the <laughs> the access point, and they could no longer <laughs> work on the problem. So... Uh, I don't know. There's some. We, we've got lots of these funny war stories, and and um, if you've got some that from networks, you know, in, in situations you've been in, uh, we encourage our listeners to write in, and maybe we'll read in, read some of them on future episodes. Okay, let's get into the technical portion of today's uh, show. We're talking about securing iOS routers, and. These are sort of operational and uh, pre-deployment best practices that you can go through on you know, your iOS uh, device to lock it down, make it more secure. This episode is going to be sort of a conversational thing. Um, we can't talk about the specific, com- a lot of the specific commands. Um, some of the things we talk about, obviously, are going to be in the show notes for the episodes. Okay, so let's uh, start it off. The first, one of the most obvious things about securing uh, iOS routers is when you're securing access to the router. One of the things uh, we recommend, obviously, is to disable Telnet. It's not secure. And there are Sniffer programs out there that can be um, installed just to watch for usernames and passwords, collect them up and email them to people you know across the Internet. So uh, it's a good idea to disable um, Telnet and any clear text uh, management protocols. And obviously, we recommend that you use SSH because uh, that's secure and, and uh, everything's encrypted.
1: Yeah, and I think most people know that we support SSH as a server service on iOS, but there's also SSH Client um, on iOS, which is added in 12.1T. Um, and version 2 for SSH uh, Client was added in 12.3T, 12.3.7T specifically. Um, so from an iOS device, it's often common for customers to jump from one iOS device to the next iOS, and you know, from one router to the next while troubleshooting a problem. So just remember, you can always use the SSH Client on a router again to get around um, as well. So it, it's highly encouraged to use SSH over Telnet for sure.
2: And just to add to that, we can also do SCP Secure Copy. So if you're worried about copying your config off of to uh, a server uh, in clear text, you can use Secure Copy, which is also encrypted. And uh, something else that we added uh, that's kind of interesting uh, in 15.0, um, I think that would make uh, SSH ad- r- access to the router a lot easier than what is it today, is you can actually do RSA authentication. You can actually import authorized keys into the router, and basically from OpenSSH and say, SSH, router IP address, boom, you're in. You don't right have in. to enter IP address. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> don't have to enter the password. Uh, new feature, uh, and I think a lot of customers may very well benefit from it. And that's 15.0. 15.01 and beyond. AM. Yep. Huh. So um, now we're on a topic of accessing mm-hmm. routers, switches, you know, network devices one of the most well-known and established uh, security mechanism is to use AAA. Uh, but it is kind of surprising how many customers actually don't take advantage of this uh, very useful common infrastructure to secure th- their device. And even when they use it, um, they don't seem to take advantage of uh, external server capabilities. Um,
1: I think what we find out with most customers, too, that. Um, you know, when we find out they're not using AAA, you know, that's, they think, because they're required to have an external TACX or RADIUS server, right? But obviously, you know, you can use a local user database for not only authentication, but you can also use it for authorization.
2: Absolutely. Uh, authorization can be very flexible. Uh, just like you said, even with local access, you have control over uh, authorization over privilege levels. You have authorization over... Uh, commands via external server. So if you really can't do external server authorization, uh, the least you can do is to control the access levels. So by default, there are 15 privilege levels on iOS, actually 16, uh, you know, level zero, uh, people rarely know about, but there is a level zero. And you can assign commands into levels uh, that are not one of these three. So, a practical example would be, you can have your NOC folks assigned to say level three, right? uh, With command access to show IP route, show version, some of the basic stuff, right? And then you can have your engineering folks have access to the config commands uh, or basically the full command set. So, that, that provides a very granular control over who can do what on top of you know, just plain access to the box itself.
0: And I think it's important what you said about accounting. Like, we do get cases in the TAC where customers need to find out they think their configuration is changing. They want to, you know, they're confused about, oh, that my config changed. I don't know why. Can you help me figure out what's going on? And sometimes, you know, if, you know, there's syslogs, right? But um, sometimes if those are missing or whatever, then, you know, had they had a AAA accounting turned on, they wouldn't know, right? So it's definitely, a lot of customers overlook AAA accounting, but it is important.
3: And you know, setting up AAA, um, it's definitely a good thing to do. And if you have the luxury of having an external service like a TacX or Radius server, it does give you a lot more flexibility. Uh, so AAA is a really nice luxury, especially when you can use such things as a Radius or TacX server. Uh, but one thing you got to be careful of is you know ensuring that you can still get into your router or your firewall when those external services are unavailable. Uh, so what we recommend that you do is actually configure a fallback method. A lot of times people will use a local username and database because that will always be available uh, in the event that you know your radius server your TacX server is down, and that still gives you the ability to get in there and fix perhaps what's ever causing your access problem to your radius device yep
0: and one last thing while we 're talking about uh logging into the routers uh, it's a good idea to have a banner with um, you know whatever legal information legal access information your company's security policy n- you know should have uh, and that 's for legal purposes it's very easy to easy to uh to configure, and it's a good idea to have that on all your devices.
2: So, uh, while we're on the topic of access to the router, um, passwords is oh, is the first line of defense in a way. Um, everybody needs a password, you know, to get into the box. There are different passwords uh, on uh, iOS. There is the Type uh, Seven passwords, which can be enabled with service uh, type, uh, password encryption. There's the Type Five, which is a hash MD5 hash based one-way encryption. Uh, And there is also a new password type, which is uh, type 6. Those are passwords that are encrypted in the master uh, database. Uh, However, those are only available for some of the uh, uh, security uh, IPsec VPN features. Um, Now, it it doesn't matter how good your passwords are. Uh, You know, sometimes, you know, people tend to forget the basics if you have a secure password but you never log out of the box or if your session never times out then it's really not i mean you know somebody comes along in starbucks you know had you know looking over you know your session oh you're on a, on a router right that's not good um so do the basics uh configure exact timeouts on the vty lines on the tty lines so that when you log in you do your stuff uh when you're gone it will idle out um
3: it's like having a lock on your front door of your house but never using it when you leave.
0: Or just leaving your door open.
3: Leaving the door wide You've open.
0: Open the door, now you're leaving the door open wh- and you're inside the exactly. house. Or- so now let's talk about um, protecting the control plane.
4: So there are two different uh, aspects to the control plane. There's uh, uh, two different features, control plane policing and control plane protection. Control plane policing, uh, also known as COPP, it allows you to restrict or police the traffic that's sent to the box. Uh, this mostly includes routing protocols, but can also include uh, management protocols like SSH, Telnet, and um, also protocols like SNMP and Syslog. And, and for and, those customers that don't know, policing is just um, a way of dropping randomly dropping traffic
1: once the traffic rate exceeds a certain threshold, right? Whether it be a sustained rate or a burst rate exceeds a threshold, a policing can kick in and can will just randomly drop that traffic.
4: So. Right. So... The same uh, concepts that you find in QoS, right? So the control plane protection, additionally to uh, control plane policing, restricts and polices traffic destined to the device's route processor. Um, Unlike COPP that uh, aggregates all the control plane traffic, CPPR divides the control plane into three categories, and these are known as sub-interfaces. And then uh, control plane protection polices on each of those sub-interfaces independently.
2: Now, um, when we talk about those three uh, sub-interfaces, I think we have to take a step back and understand some of the switching um, architecture that's uh, in iOS. So there's uh, three basic switching mechanisms. There is process switching. Basically, uh, all the packets will go up to the processor. The processor will look at the packet and make a routing decision, which is the most inefficient. And there is fast switching, which came after process switching, it's uh, uh, based on a fast cache mechanism where uh, the initial packet will get process switched, and then we build out the cache entries. And then all the subsequent packets will be switched using the cache entries under interrupt. More efficient, but still not optimal. Uh, this is where we talk about there is self-switching. Uh, Cisco Express forwarding. Uh, hopefully most customers is uh, running it. Uh, this is based on the two-table mechanism. There is a FIB table, forwarding information base, as well as an adjacency table, which is the layer two to layer three mapping table. CEPH is the most efficient, um, and uh, over the years, uh, especially when we had, uh, say, a, a virus outbreak. Uh, I remember back in the days, you know, when we had the NIMDA code red, uh, Customer will call in, I'm running out of CPU, I'm running out of memory. Um, IPCF, one command, um, boom, problem goes away. So Ceph uh, definitely provides a lot of the benefit in terms of uh, managing you know, switching performance on a router. Now going back to the points about the sub-interfaces, so we have a host sub-interface which basically controls traffic going to the router itself so that includes management traffic, telnet, SSH, SNMP, what not. And then there is a transit traffic sub-interface. Uh, that controls traffic going through the box, but yet still punted up to the processor. Uh, that would include, say, transit traffic with IP option set. Hmm. And the last one uh, is a Ceph exception. Uh, and, and this is also often referred to as a Ceph-punt subinterface. interface uh, Under the Ceph path, certain packets may not be processed correctly. Uh, say, for example, we have to do some sort of a deep packet inspection. We have to do something uh, extensively that we can't do under one interrupt. Then those packets will be punted to the processor level. So uh, now we have with these three subinterfaces, we have a lot more granularity in terms of what we can control with control plane policing.
0: So, can you give us an example of, you know, when you've seen a customer use this, or when it might be, you know, worth using to mitigate some sort of attack or problem on the network?
2: Sure. Um, so, the most common practice with control plane policing is you have to define the traffic classes that you want to uh, classify and police uh, with control plane policing. Uh, Some of the common classes include management, uh, like Blaine said earlier, so that would be Telnet SSH traffic into the box. Uh, There will be uh, control plane, uh, including routing protocol traffic, that will maintain your routing infrastructure in a network. And uh, normal traffic, what I consider normal traffic, will be, um, say for example, on a VPN endpoint, you may have to process IP packets. Those would be uh, normal traffic to the router operation. Uh, and then there is uh, undesirable. You know, things you know that are bad. You know, those are definitely the ones that you need to police. So you define the classes, you configure control plane policing with a service policy, much like QoS. Uh, for critical traffic, uh, your actions will be transmitted whether you're within the police limit or, ex- or, or if that uh, traffic uh, exceeds uh, the police threshold. Um, to, to deploy it, uh, I think you know it's, it's best if you have some understanding of what sort of traffic you have, uh, what sort of traffic you expect, and uh, what, at what rate, and start from there.
1: Right, so we talked about um, control plane, and the other main plane on the router is the data plane, right? And on the data plane, that's transient traffic that's passing through the device, and from a security perspective, um, we're much more interested in protecting the control plane because we want to make sure that the router remains up, and the traffic that's getting punted up to the CPU that the CPU remains within, you know, a, a decent level so that it can handle the routing, it can handle the management, so you can make configuration changes. You know, your your neighbors aren't bouncing and stuff like that. But for the transient traffic, there are a few things to keep in mind about um, what you can do to secure that traffic as well. Uh, as Wen mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, you have IP options on packets that are passing, you know, transient through the router. Uh, but IP options, um, if they are on the packet, by default they're going to get kicked up to the router's CPU um, to look at the option and, and do processing on it. iOS has introduced a command called uh, IP option drop or ignore, where you can say if a packet has an IP option in it, either drop it or ignore the IP option. And either of those two options don't require the packet to be punted to the central router CPU. Therefore, it stays, you know, being Ceph switched. Uh, so in general, we typically would recommend using the ignore option on it. Uh, the drop option I- is available as well, but there's some certain uh, traffic like RSVP which require IP options for it to function properly. And therefore, you know, using drop nowadays isn't quite something that most networks can uh, deploy. Another thing is disabling source routing. So no IP source route in the config that prevents the router from acting on uh, packets that it receives that are are set to, um, you know, specifically route the packet based on a specific path. Uh, Unicast reverse path forwarding, or URPF, is also known as anti-spoofing. And configuring that with the IP verify Verify unicast source reachable via command, um, what it does is, on any packet on ingress into the router, we check the routing table and say, okay, can I reach um, the source of that packet out that interface, uh, or out any interface. And if not, then we're going to go ahead and drop it. it. It it helps a lot in preventing uh, packets getting spoofed. And again, this is also done in, in the subpass, so no punning to the central CPU. While we're talking about that, um, there's also uh, different ACLs that you can apply, both infrastructure ACLs, which um, are defined as ACLs you apply to an interface that are restricting access to your network, right? So you could your routers could be part of a, a larger network, and um, you want to restrict transient traffic that's going through your network to your infrastructure, to your internal network. Those are called infrastructure ACLs. You also have transit ACLs, where again, where you're being the transit device um, and the traffic's transient in your network, you might want to drop or limit what type of traffic can transit you. Now, the thing to keep in mind about these types of ACLs is if you apply a log option to the end of it, that's going to cause the traffic to get punted up to the central CPU. in general, we recommend that we don't log on those because we don't want it, that traffic to get processed out of the seth path.
2: Now, just to add to that note, um, you do have an option uh, to have visibility into the source of the packet being dropped without using the, the log option. Uh, you can actually use IP accounting you know, um, access violations. It's just one command. Basically, it gave you the ability to drop the packet and have those uh, packets recorded so you can look at them without having to use the law keyword, which uh, has performance impact.
1: All right. A couple other things are um, disabling proxy ARP, right, so the router uh, won't proxy ARP for other devices, and disabling directed broadcasts so that uh, you can't uh, send a directed broadcast through the router, which would then cause an amplification-type ty- attack like ICMP Smurf attack or something like that.
4: And the next feature that, uh, that we can secure is routing protocols. So whether you're working with interior or exterior routing protocols, you can do things like MD5 hashing the uh, routing updates so that you can verify and authenticate that they're coming from a, a known neighbor. You can restrict updates to specific networks and even uh, specific autonomous systems, and that's all done with ACLs in various forms. And you can also protect your local resources on the router by limiting the size of, of the routing table and this will protect uh, your memory on your router so that you don't get into a situation where you could run out and potentially crash.
1: I think for a lot of those, uh, we'll add in the show notes some example configs on on how to configure those so that people can
3: get a good idea of of what they need to configure to implement those types of security features. So, we've talked a lot about securing specific features and functions that are on our routers. Um, More of an overall best practice would be to kind of define a baseline for what normal is within your network so you can identify what abnormal events might happen or what may be a security issue. Um, Two ways that you can do that uh, are router support NetFlow, which gives you the ability to get a quick snapshot and also periodic information about what kind of traffic your router has. So it's definitely recommended to have NetFlow available as well as uh, SNMP to monitor such statistics as CPU usage, memory usage, network interface uh, usage, et cetera. All that kind of helps you build a picture so that if something is happening, perhaps a security issue, you at least know that you're deviating from what you can define as a normal baseline.
1: Right, and typically um, you, use, you enable NetFlow and SNMP um, in conjunction with some other uh, software product, right? So for SNMP, there's freeware MRTG, right, mm-hmm. which allows you to graph and view and graphs um, like last 24 hours, last month, last week, of you know traffic going through interface or any type of SNMP MIB you want to trap. Um, for SNMP, I think it's important to also mention that you know there's a few different versions of it: one, two, and also uh, version three. If you're just reading um, the MIBs, um, you know via gets and stuff like that, pulling information, it might be fine to use version two for that. But The routers also allow you to push configurations out, right? Yeah. Um, And so an SNMP set command. If you're going to be doing that, or if you are doing that in your network, then you really need to use SNMP version 3 with authentication and encryption, right? Because otherwise, SNMP is really no better than Telnet, as we talked about before, where, you know, anyone snooping can get the access information to your routers, and, you know, SNMP's UDP base, they can spoof a packet, um, and and push config changes to your router via SNMP. Um, So using SNMP, version three with encryption and authentication prevents that type of uh, attack vector as well. Also, a part of operational best practices is logging. We, I know uh, we talk about this a lot in the podcast on um, the firewall security devices, but also on iOS, logging is still a critical, plays a critical role. Um, now, while the iOS routers might not log as much information, what they do log is still very important, especially if there's some type of security event going on. You really do need to go back to the logs and capture what those are. Now, the logs are sent um, obviously unencrypted, so if you're sending the syslogs remotely across the Internet, you might want to do it across a VPN tunnel so that they are secured um, and that you do get them and they, you know, can't be intercepted. We recommend that, you know, obviously you set up a syslogging, so logging trap, uh, but also logging to a local buffer and increase the default buffer size because the default buffer isn't very big. Uh, You can increase that uh, default buffer size to make it um, so that you can store, you know, several thousand messages on the router and then use grep commands to go through and uh, and find the logs that you're looking for. Additionally, with logging, it's very critical that time um, is accurate and that it's represented in a format that you can really use. So make sure you enable service timestamps and tell it to log the date time at, uh, with a millisecond option so that you know exactly when that log was generated. Additionally, you can set it to configure to be a uh, UTC time or via local time, um, whichever is really relevant to you.
0: And I'll throw in there. I mean, you know, going to the time situation, it, we in attack sometimes get, you know, megabytes and gigabytes of syslogs that we're trying to go through, and sometimes the time is off uh, on the different devices that we're trying to correlate, and so it makes it very hard. Um, but also, you know, it's you know having all the time synchronized in your uh, organization is important, and you can use NTP Network Time Protocol to do that. That's, um, really important. You also need to make sure you have the time zone configuration set correctly. And that'll that'll help, you know, not only you if you need to go through and, um, you know, figure out, uh, correlate some events across multiple devices, but also, um, you know, if you're trying to do a post-mortem or forensics on a security incident, those those timestamps are very, very important.
1: Right. And for those that aren't using NTP, NTP is very, very simple to set up. Um, iOS can actually act, you know, an iOS router can actually act as an NTP server, and all the other routers can act as NTP clients talking to that server. So, It's not really, um, you know, you don't really necessarily have to have some external NTP sources like Stratum 2 or something like that, a a GPS Stratum, you know, uh, NTP time source. Um, It's more important really from a troubleshooting perspective that the times just be in sync so that when we do troubleshoot that stuff, we have it. But, you know, accuracy um, is also important.
4: Well, yeah, that helps us out a lot. Uh, like, we'll receive an MRTG graph with timestamps, right? And then we'll receive syslogs from w- one device and syslogs from another device, and then a huge packet capture. And uh, the customer you know, might say that you're seeing massive uh, increase in, in throughput, and then a sudden drop in throughput. So in order to correlate all that data, all the times uh, must match.
1: Right. One other thing that I don't think there's a whole lot of customers, uh, at least I haven't seen a whole lot of customers use, but it's really a, a really nice Simple feature, um, it's very useful, it's called config archive. Um, so it was added in 1237T, so it's been around for a while. And it's a simple command, you type archive, and you give it a path of where to archive it. And what it'll do is you have two options. You can either take config snapshots at a certain time interval, so say every day you want to take a config snapshot, or when a user saves a config, so when a write mem is issued, you take a config snapshot. And you can say specify how many config um, archives you want to keep. By default, it's 10. And what this allows you to do is the router will, you know, obviously has an archive of all the config changes for you on the box, but you can also you know, use that to go back and say, hey, I'm having a problem now. We say, were you having the problem last week? No. Well, what changed? Well, we can go and look at those config archives to see and do a config diff to see what changed. Additionally, if you want to roll back um, one of those changes, it's very simple to do as well. So along with the config archive is a config replace command, which was added, and you can roll back and replace in config, whereas copy start to run, doesn't merge, um, the uh, rollback command actually does a replace, or configure replace actually does a, a, a replace so that you know, there is no merging. It's a very simple solution. So I highly encourage you users to look into that.
2: That's, um, that, that's absolutely right. And uh, you know, I've seen one interesting case where I had recommended the customer to implement a command. He would implement it. Uh, the problem goes away. And he will come back the next day. The command will be reverted back to what it was before. And, well, this is obviously a very large company, a lot of people touching the routers. Uh, He couldn't figure out who was doing it. Uh, As it turned out, it was one of his coworkers. Nobody knew that he was working on on this project, and that person was just as frustrated uh, because he was thinking somebody was changing the command. They were (laughs) fighting with each other. Um, He should have had accounting. (laughs) If they had uh, Config Archive uh, enabled, they would have easily go back to the archive and look at it. Uh, What it would tell you is, time, date, you know, the command, uh, and the user. It will tell you exactly who made the change um, there. So, uh, very useful feature. Uh, I, I sure hope, you know, a lot of customers can, you know, look it up and uh, take advantage of it.
1: But also, like Blaine said, AAA accounting AAA. Um, would obviously help determine the root cause in that case as well. Absolutely. Um,
2: but going back to the, the, the earlier point about syslog, um, and David mentioned that, you know, there's uh, probably more syslogging capabilities on the ASA. On the routers, not as much, but we have added a couple very useful ones uh, to notify the user about uh, uh, resource uh, exhaustion conditions. Say, for example, CPU and memory. You know, those are the two most important pieces of uh, resources on the router. Uh, A lot of the security problems, virus outbreak, somebody actively attacking the router, denial of services attack. The first symptom that you normally see is router either running at 100% CPU, or it has its memory pool completely depleted. So with low memory resource or high CPU uh, threshold notification, you can actually configure a threshold and say, well, I know my router shouldn't run over 85% of CPU. Now, if it does run over eighty-five percent, I'd like to know about it, and you will log an entry in the syslog saying, you know, the CPU threshold has uh, exceeded the eighty-five percent which you have defined earlier. Very useful feature. Um, a couple commands that you have to type in to uh, to enable it. Um, you know, I would uh, strongly encourage our listeners to uh, look them up. Uh, along those lines. Uh, one of the things, uh, not necessarily uh, security related, but I think it's very useful uh, to mitigate security you know attack conditions to solve problems or just you know our day-to-day troubleshooting is EEM, uh, embedded event manager. I'm not sure how many customers know about it uh, or are actually using it. Uh, but what it is is it's a event manager that can, trigger actions based on uh, certain events. Say, things like uh, syslog entry, like we said earlier. right? If you have router CPU going over 80%, take some action. Say, maybe send an email to the network uh, administrator. Uh, it can do things like uh, collect commands based on the watchdog timeout. So you're troubleshooting the problem, and you want to collect show-and-show show show commands every five seconds. EM is your tool. Um, and we have certainly used it to troubleshoot some of the the more difficult um, security problems, uh, especially in the VPN space. Uh, EEM is very flexible. Uh, it provides a lot of capabilities. Uh, you can do remote triggering events. You can send emails. Um, very very helpful. So definitely look it up and uh, start using it.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, you know check the show notes. We can put uh, some links to both EEM as well as a lot of the commands that were discussed here um, we'll put in the show notes. Also, uh, a few episodes ago, we had a guest speaker from PSIRT um, that came to the podcast. And cert uh, has created an article uh, called, it's a, it's a Cisco guide to harden uh, Cisco iOS devices. And it's a really good article that talks about uh, a lot of the stuff we talked about today. Uh, also talks about some additional things in there. And you can just search Cisco's website for um, hardened Cisco iOS. And uh, you'll find that article written by uh, the PCert team.
0: Well, thanks for listening to today's episode. Um, today's episode was kind of different, but we definitely wanted to do an episode on this because um, we think a lot. You know, there's a lot of different features that are available to help um, increase the security of your iOS router. And I would say you know, there's a lot of different um, options out there, but sometimes we just don't see customers using them as much as they should. So hopefully this has been uh, educational, and um, check the show notes if you're interested in exploring any of these uh, other options further. All right, well, you can contact us uh, via email at securityshow at cisco.com, and you can also visit our website to read the show notes and download additional episodes. That's at www.cisco.com slash go slash taxsecuritypodcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com slash go taxsecuritypodcast.